Hello everyone and welcome to The Human Source, a podcast for HR professionals, business owners, managers and anyone interested in what's going on in the world of people and culture. I'm Daniel Grace, Senior International HR Consultant at IRIS and today I'm joined by Brona Grogan, Director and Chief Operating Officer of Paycheck Plus in Ireland. Hi Brona. Hi Dan, how are you today? Hi everyone, thanks very much for listening. Very excited to be taking part in, the, in today's podcast. Great. Great, it's good to have you, Bruno, so thanks for coming on. So today we're going to be talking about global mobility and discussing the key considerations when employing abroad. So quite a big topic, and I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about today. Mm -hmm. There'll be lots we won't get into. You know, it's a very niche subject. There's a lot to consider when you're employing abroad. So we'll go through some scenarios today. We'll talk about some key information that you should be aware of. We'll give you some information about the current market and what's happening there. But yeah, bear in mind that this is just a discussion. It won't be unique to your individual experiences. We always recommend you get professional consultancy help if you ever need any help with a global mobility scheme or if it's with setting up payroll or legal entities, you always need to get professional help. Don't don't rely on this podcast as the one truth, uh, source of truth, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> And I'm sure Brona can... Uh, Accompanying that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's, it's a dynamic world and um, fast paced that we're now living in, particularly in the yeah. context of the past couple of years. And, you know, the way there's so many movers and shakers now. And, and I think trying to, you know, trying to source that pool of talent and, and making sure that you're complying with all local you know, regulations as well. And, and, and one of the things that we would um, certainly stand by here in Paycheck Plus is, is as exactly as you say, Dan, is, is, you know, don't take everything that we say as, as the absolute almighty. Make sure that if you are uncertain or, or you have concerns or anything like that, that you do seek specific tax advice or legal advice in that regard, depending on what that scenario is, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So we'll just do a bit of scene setting, just a bit of information about what's happening in the UK. And Bruno, I'll ask for your insight into Ireland. But the Office of National Statistics, which is the main UK statistics body, um, comes with all sorts of research and surveys and, that they do in the UK market. Um, particularly what we're talking about today is vacancies. So they released a report recently, and you've probably seen it in the news. If you've not, well, here's some news for you, that there's more vacancies in the UK than there is staff to work them, which presents a very challenging market for employers generally but also for employees where they're spoiled for choice but then employers are also struggling to find the right candidate for the right role and pay the right price for it. So this is opening up um, a lot of looking overseas for talent, either bring them into the UK or trying to retain your staff by allowing them to work elsewhere around the world and that gives us a whole set of challenges. So, Bruno, I'll just ask you, how, how are you finding it in Ireland? Is it a similar story over there? Absolutely, Dan, yeah. And, and what we find is that particularly in, you know, some sectors, for example, you know, the, the medical scene or the retail and hospitality scene, they're really struggling to find staff that would have been readily available um, maybe two, two and a half years ago, three years ago. And it's a little bit like history repeating itself, going back a few more years. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of young people would have emigrated, would have gone to the States, gone to Australia. And, you know, yeah. now as employers, you know, requirements ha have changed and employees' requirements have changed as well. I think the past couple of years have given 
both you know parties an opportunity to reflect um, to consider their options and um, I mean as you say we can now work from anywhere in the world but with that brings a whole range of challenges as well that probably weren't you know considered previous to this so th there's a huge calling and um, our employment rate is, is, is very good at the moment and we see a lot of vacancies um, within the, 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 the employment landscape that employers are, are urgently trying to place. Yeah Absolutely. Yeah, so it sounds just as difficult over there as it is mm -hmm. here. You know, and we're not alone. Um, I was reading a report about New Zealand. They're having a, a similar set of circumstances where it's too expensive for younger people to live in the country. So that they're emigrating, they're, they're moving away and it's causing this huge skill shortage within their local environment. So it's definitely something that's been felt all around the world. I think even in the States, it's been felt on a local level in certain states. They feel it more where people are moving states and they don't have the right candidates internally to to promote or hire so it's very difficult yeah and, and I, I, you can sorry. see as well Dan sorry to cut across you there but you can see as well in the cost of living and yeah, inflation course, yeah. is, is, is so high now at the moment I, I was actually reading an article there just, just over lunch whereby you know there was a, a, queue, a row of people queuing for hours to, to view a three bed house and you know number one there's, there's not you know the, the housing market is yeah, 167,000 houses vacant in Ireland at the moment. So there's a huge calling for housing and for social housing as well. Yeah. Um, and and not able to keep up with the demands. And then the rents are so high and, you know, people are yeah. just flocking. They're just going to somewhere where they can live within their means. No, absolutely. I think inflation in the UK was 10.1% this month, which is mm -hmm. obviously a huge impact. And you could feel that with the rail strikes, which were very common in the UK over the last few months, where... Um, workers were campaigning for higher wages because of the cost of living, so mm -hmm. it has that huge impact. So what are businesses doing? Well, yeah, we mentioned it earlier, they're looking for staff abroad, bringing people where they can hire that right talent, or they're offering their talent the ability to work elsewhere, working abroad, maybe working somewhere where it's a little bit cheaper to live, or they're looking at increasing wages where they can, but mm -hmm. we know that's not always an option. So what we're going to do today is we're, we've got five scenarios just to walk through um, global mobility concerns, how that applies to people. This won't cover all scenarios. There'll be more out there, but we're going to talk through them just to give you some insight into how this works in today's world, what you need to be aware of in some of these scenarios, but it won't cover everything, so just remember that. So I'll just start walking into it. Brona, feel free to cut across me any time. Not a problem. No problem. Okay, so our first scenario we're going to talk about is you are an employer. You've got an employee who wants to work abroad. What should you do in that situation? Now, for this example, we're going to take an employee who's a UK citizen working and living in the UK and say they want to work in Ireland or they might want to work somewhere else in the EU. It's, it's very similar, but we'll go for Ireland for now just to give us an insight into how that would work. It's um, close to home, so sing similar languages. Uh, English in both countries is the primary language. So we'll just talk about wh what would we do there. Yeah. Okay. Now, in this scenario, we're talking about an employee wanting to work and live in Ireland for at least 90 days or more. Because in most countries, a UK citizen or an Irish citizen can work in most countries in the EU for about 90 days and not feel any major repercussions. Now, there will be some countries that that changes in. You always need to be aware and do your research for each country that you're moving to. But generally, 90 days will give you a bit of leeway. So we're going to assume our employee has approached their employer and said, we're going to live and work in Ireland for 180 days or even longer. And what do we need to consider when that happens? So... Have you had any experience with that, Bruno? Have you had any 
Do you want, yes, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah. yeah, no, we have. And I suppose that's where um, the majority of our new business would come from at the moment yeah. is maybe, as I call them, inverted quote unquote, um, overseas uh, employers. Uh, mm -hmm. seeking to place um, employees boots on the ground in Ireland. And um, I suppose there's a couple of considerations there um, that, that mm. need to, to, to come into play. One being obviously residence. Um, yep. So, you know, if the employee is going to be resident in Ireland, if they're going to be uh, performing duties of employment in Ireland, then our revenue commissioners will obviously want a slice of that um, in terms of taxes and social security. Absolutely. Yeah. So, That's a know, huge concern, isn't it? It is. It is, Dan. And, and you know, it's something that if it's not, um, I suppose, approached correctly in the first instance, it can have serious repercussions then from, you know, an employee and an employer perspective, both operationally, compliance-based, and from a reputational perspective um, as well. Um, so Absolutely. For, in, in that respect, then, um, once it's all set up, and, and what we actually find here is an overseas you know, client, there's this common, I guess, misconception that they need to incorporate a legal entity in Ireland mm -hmm. to in order to be able to have Irish employees. That's not actually the case. Um, as an overseas employer, non-resident employer, excuse me, by coming into Ireland, they can register as an employer only which means yeah. their employee will have uh, uh, will be able to register their employment under the Irish registration number. They will have their what I know you guys call tax codes, what we call their um, their basis of assessment, their revenue payroll notification will be assigned to that employment and they will be on the correct um, basis of assessment. Yeah. Um, other considerations then, I suppose, if I if I think about it, ones that come up most frequently for ourselves would be around pension. So yeah, of course, yeah. there's that a lot of it, it's a busy market in Ireland from an employment perspective at the moment. There's a lot of legislative changes coming down the track in terms of statutory sick pay kicking off now in, in September. And that's obviously coming in on a phased mm -hmm. basis over the next couple of years. December sees gender pay gap reporting and um, most notably for any employers who have an excess of 250 employees initially. And then it's coming in then um, based on 150. A and exactly yeah. less than 50. And after that, then we've auto enrollment. So currently, again, it's another common misconception. Currently, there is no obligation for an, an, an Irish employer um, to remit pension contributions into a pension um, pot, I'll say. Um, mm -hmm. But they do need to provide access for their employees to some sort of a pension scheme that their employees can remit pension contributions into. Yep. So that's going to bring a whole raft of changes. And that was due to come in. Oh, sure, it was due to come in the last couple of years. But we, we've been told now 2023 and um, auto enrollment is, is going to come in. But it's very important that the employee is given access to some sort of a pension scheme that, that is, as I say, they can um, remit into. I believe they're known as personal retirement savings accounts now. Correct. PRSAs. Yes. PRSAs, Dan. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. that, that brings us on to a really interesting topic. We, we mentioned a few things there, but yeah, that tax impact question and being registered as a non-resident employer in Ireland. So yeah, you would still need to register as an employer. You'd still need to pay the income tax that's due to the government or to the revenue body of Ireland for your employee who's working in Ireland for... Mm -hmm. 180 days or a year or two years as long as they're working there you'd need to be paying their taxes their social security amounts you'd need to give them access to one of these prses these pension retirement saving accounts 
the law is changing in future. Really good points there. You're going to have things like auto enrolment, which is today exists in the UK, mm-hmm. where you will need to contribute as an employer towards the pension and other things like statutory sick pay that you need to be aware of. But yeah, just talking about those things, we're now branching into employment law. What else do you need yeah. to be aware of? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. what what health insurance do you need to provide, if any? Yeah. How do you make sure your employees are insured for working in Ireland? All those types of questions that will give you lack of better wording, a bit of a headache, you know? Yeah, yeah correct. <laughs> How do you plan around that? Correct, yeah. and, and, and even a bigger headache if you don't know about them. So it's not necessarily a requirement to provide them. So again, health insurance is not an, a, a necessary um, part of a remuneration package. It's completely no. discretionary. Um, it's only if the employer has, you know, the, the budget and, the, and is attracting that, you know, that, that talent pool. Um, and also, you know, during COVID, our, our government brought in a raft of new policies um, so now, you know, we've a right to disconnect and that all needs to be bedded in to, as you say there, Dan, employment terms and conditions and, and contracts yep. and that. And, you know, I, from our, my own perspective, Paycheck Plus, we are primarily a payroll processing provider we of don't course, yeah. um you know we, we don't we don't dabble in um, in hr contracts but we have plenty of connections in no more than yourselves and um, in that regard yeah of course yeah. you know don't worry me do that exactly exactly um and, and i suppose just just to circle back on the tax part and um, please and i wanted to mention as well to consider any shadow payroll um, yeah, of course. Yeah, back taxes. Of, of yeah. having exactly so wherever the revenue is being recognised in terms of Ireland or the or the you know the employer's um, mm-hmm. location, that consideration also needs to be given to that as well. So th- there's a lot goes on with it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and what you also need to worry about just in that same branch is uh, corporation tax. So if you mm-hmm. register as a non-resident employer, you're essentially telling the Irish government or any government that you do that status that look, you're not planning on generating revenue in that mm-hmm. country or sales. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you do. If your role or business has recognised that, then you could become liable to corporation tax in that country. And suddenly that government wants a share of your profit, wants a share of your revenue, and, and you can be in really hot water. So it's be, to be something very careful of, yeah. we'd absolutely recommend speaking to your corporate tax team or a tax advisor if you are looking to move an employee to a different location or if they've asked to move to a different location. It's a really, really risky uh, mm-hmm. item. Mm-hmm. And what you also need to be aware of is when we come into employment law is you may be used to, um, in, in the UK, employees have two years before they gain certain statutory rights. That might change depending on the country that they're working in. You know, So it might become a lot harder to manage performance, manage dismissal if that's the case. Even redundancy payments may be higher. So a huge amount of concerns you need to be aware of as soon as someone starts gaining that resident status in another country. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. below 90 days... You're okay for most countries. When you start getting above that, it gets really tricky and really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when it comes to that right to disconnect that Bruno was mentioning there, where your employee is legally allowed to just not answer the phone if you phone them after certain working hours or not answer their emails. You may be not used to that type of environment. Similar laws are in France and other European Union countries, but it's not in the UK. We don't have that right here, where an employer can phone and demand an answer. You don't have that right in Ireland or, or other countries around Europe. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And we've not even mentioned immigration status, about living there, applying for social security numbers for employees, if you're an employee moving. So it's a really expansive topic. don't want to spend too much time on mm. it because I feel like I could talk for hours on yeah. just this topic alone. But it is definitely something to consider. It is. One, yes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One other thing to consider is... Um, 
if you have a, a European Union employee, so say your employees in Ireland and they're moving to another European um, Union country for work or being a posted worker, you need to make sure they apply for something called an A1 certificate. Don't know if you've heard of this, Bruno, but it's um, a piece of legislation that comes out of the posted worker directive in the European Union where you need to claim a certificate from your local social security that shows the other country I've already paid Social Security, I don't need to pay it here. And it's very important, if, even if you're going on short work assignments for two or three weeks, you should really have one of these certificates. So it's really, really important. There's a bit of knowledge for you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's yeah. a great nugget, all right, to share, Dan. And, and, and I think one that, again, it, it, it doesn't really come up in our conversation. So from my perspective and speaking with potential new clients, that's that's certainly very, very useful and, and very helpful. As you say, knowledge is power. And, and if we can impart that onto our potential client Absolutely. base, then you know we, we, we have no concerns um, and I think you know for me the last part of, of you know we, we spoke about the compliance and the taxes the social securities yep. the visas etc but if you're posting you know an employee for a period of time I think the soft skills that that come with that as well in terms of you know building that culture of trust maintaining Absolutely. it you know giving your employee all the supports that they you know they, they might be on their own coming into the country and um, but giving them all the supports that they need to keep them empowered to keep them motivated you know not just in ireland but indeed any any location that that they might be relocating to for a period of time i think once you yeah. have that trust it's very hard to to lose it but you need to you know it's all about setting your employees up for success absolutely and, yeah. you know and and rewarding and recognizing that the whole time that the employee experience they're, they're so hard as i as i would say they're so hard got <laughs> when you have them and they're performing and and they're meeting objectives exactly, and target yeah. you need it's to hold on to them as well for sure yeah of course yeah, it's a long road to get an employee that is valuable and trusted and actually performs you know it's, it's definitely a challenge so that we've mentioned a lot of considerations just if your employee wants to move and live in a different country for a certain amount of time, what that impacts you as an employer. Um, the last thing I'd want to mention is if you are doing this, it's very likely that you need to set up some form of payroll. And I think we've discussed this through um, this process, through this scenario that, yeah, you will need to work out what the income taxes are. You will need to provide the employee pay slips. You will have lasting obligations to the government for pensions, things like that. So you need to really, really be aware of that. And of course, all these considerations, all these things, insurances, being compliant with tax, having a payroll, speaking to the local revenue body to make sure you're paying the right taxes, all carries a cost. So it's always something to be aware of when you're allowing employees to work elsewhere in the world, that you're very likely looking at significant cost, especially if it's a first time set up. So always be aware of that. And that really brings us into scenario two quite nicely, actually. Um, so scenario two will more look closely at what to do with a business if you're moving into a new market. What do you need to consider? There will be a lot of similarities, so be mm. aware of that when we're talking about this. Um, for our listeners, that yeah, we're not trying to be repetitive, but there is a lot of similarities there. So if you do want to enter a new market, there, there is a lot to consider, actually, mainly your corporate tax strategy. Okay, so that's a huge thing you need to be aware of when you're entering any market. Typically about what you're going to be doing in that market. Are you just looking for talent to support your operations elsewhere? Or are you looking to start a business there? What type of taxes is that going to attract? What type of registrations do you require? Do you need a permanent legal entity or can you register as a um, non-resident employer, as Bruno was saying there, as you can in Ireland? Um, yeah, what type of risk do you face? What type of insurance? 
what type of local bank accounts do you need, if any. Huge a lot of considerations there. But we'll just talk through that a little bit. What are some of the things you need to be aware of from a HR perspective, from a payroll perspective? Um, yeah, I think I've covered the, the main considerations there, though, Brona. Anything you'd like to add to that? No, I'd, I'd fully agree, Dan. I, I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And indeed, you know, in, a, in our own experience, what we have found is, is you know, that um, from an Irish context, um, we're, we're quite, mm-hmm. you know, Located is quite attractive. Our, lo- our location, in terms of you know our, our, our tax landscape, and um, you know you've got access into the EU. You know, next stop the US on the other side. Um, and what we found is is you know over the past couple of years, you know a, a number of multinationals have actually headquartered in Ireland. And you know, as you say, they're due yeah. to those tax reasons, due to low startup costs, due to registration requirements, and you know the. The ability or the or the disability to set up local bank accounts, whatever you know that that might look like. And as you said, I know I've already hit on um, the, the registration piece as an employer. But you know, if you are incorporating an entity, these are all things that need to be taken into account as well to make sure that it doesn't come out the other side in an adverse manner. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the big names are like Apple, Google, mm-hmm. some of those huge mm-hmm. Facebook, some of those huge tech companies that are headquartered in Ireland, really because of that lucrative tax market. Um, I think that's quite a point of contention within the wider yeah. European Union, to be honest. But yeah, we won't talk yeah. about it too much there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. So Ireland, the UK, the US, all these countries um, want to attract new business into them. They want to attract new employers who are going to employ local people, so that they will offer certain benefits. It's always recommended that you speak to a specialised tax advisor to see if there's any government grants you can get from entering into a new market and setting up a new legal entity. Um, Scotland runs them from just a UK perspective, but there's also ones in England and Wales and Northern Ireland. Ireland itself, I'm sure, operate lots of grants to help new employers get set up in a market. So if you are looking to do that, it's always recommended that you talk to a specialised tax service that can help you there. Um, But other things you need to be aware of are things like um, having a legally compliant employment contract. If you're planning on hiring quite a lot of staff, having the right policies in place so you can manage those staff, like employment handbooks. Having the right payroll in place, that normally comes with a start-up cost and a long lead time to be implemented. We're talking about six to eight weeks, sometimes shorter, sometimes it can be longer depending on how complex your setup. Pension and insurance requirements, if you have any. I'm thinking of liability insurance, so if there's an accident at work, you need to make sure you're insured in that country. Your tax status and how you're going to be managing tax in that country, a huge list of requirements there. And then lastly... What type of talent are you looking for? Will you make sure you get it in that market? We've already mentioned that the UK market and the Irish markets and other markets are very competitive at the moment. So if you are planning on entering a new market, it's always good to do a bit of research to make sure that you have the right staff available to you, they have the right talent in that country. Or or what's the point? There's no point in entering a market. Mm -hmm. If you can't recruit there, it'd be very difficult. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't no. know if you have anything to add to that one, Bruna. No, other than to fully endorse everything, um, Dan, that that you're saying there yourself, and and in terms of of the length of time, the length of resource, the amount of energy that goes course, in yeah. to to setting up in a new market, and and you know the, the the shortage of talent is is worldwide. I was I was speaking with colleagues in Canada only on Monday this week, and and they've got the same issues as well. So it, it's not just local to Ireland and the UK; it is everywhere. And I think getting it set up 
in the exact right way from the first instance will serve you very long, you know, in, in, in will serve you will will serve you well in the long term, should I say. But, you know, to echo your point there about seeking specific advice, I can't recommend it. I can't, you know, urge employers to do that because it just ends up in a very, very precarious situation otherwise. Of course. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with that. And I mean we come back to that that topic again of costs, you know, it is expensive to enter a new market, especially if you're planning on hiring locally, your recruitment costs could be very high. But even just your startup cost of getting registered, getting a payroll, getting the right insurances in place, getting your employment contracts, you could be looking to fifteen to twenty five thousand pounds or, or thirty thousand dollars the equivalent. So it could be a huge amount of uh, investment. So you want to make sure you're getting it right. And yeah. Not taking away there will be a lot of people time invested in that as well. Mm-hmm. So you'll have your own HR departments looking locally about how they can set up. You'll have your operations team wanting to know how they're going to enter the market. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hugely costly in terms of resource, but also there is external costs you need to be aware of. So mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult. Um, well, it's not difficult. We're here to make it easy. Correct. But- but there's a lot of challenges involved that you need to overcome, I'd say. That, that's maybe yeah. easier than saying it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think those, those challenges could be, could be overcome in, in a shorter time frame if you stay up to speed with them as well. Because I suppose what we have noticed is there's a number of, of banking providers even moving out of the Irish market at the moment. Oh, and really? Wow. Clients will come to us and say, I, I, I need to set up a bank account. So it is getting more... And it, it is getting more cumbersome I suppose and particularly mm-hmm. if you don't have that presence in Ireland at the moment and I'm sure it's the same in every country throughout the world and um, you know if you don't have that credit rating if you don't have that history with the bank it can become difficult um, not impossible but difficult no, um, of course, to, yeah. to get that set up and that can add to your lean time in terms of implementing a payroll as well and getting those employees paid on time in a compliant way and it's the right amount as well of course yeah Absolutely, yeah. Really good points there, Brona. Yeah, absolutely for adding that value. That That's great. And I think that brings us to the end of Scenario 2. I mean, we've already talked about a lot of your considerations in our Scenario 1, where you had an employee wanting to work in a different country. There's a lot of similarities with Scenario 2, but again, it comes back to that driving factor of there will be external costs involved in opening in a new market, and you'll have a lot of resource costs. There's a lot of considerations from compliance, tax, social security, uh, being compliant with employment law, making sure you can find the right talent. So it's really important if you are planning on expanding that you get the right consultancy advice, the right market research, and always seek professional guidance. Don't uh, don't just go for it because you're very likely to receive some fines or employ people illegally, which is a very bad thing. That you could face criminal sanctions for it. So always make sure you're getting the right legal advice or professional advice when you're opening up in a new market. And that really leads us into scenario three of, say you don't want to expand in a new market, but you're struggling for talent, well, what should you do? And a lot of companies today are looking for talent overseas. How can I bring talent into my market, pay them a competitive salary here, which may be higher from where they're coming from, or they may just want to change the environment? What considerations do you need to make? What do you need to be aware of? And again, how costly would it be to your business to do something like that? So when you're hiring from abroad, you've got your initial recruitment costs of, yeah, we we all have the internet today, we all have LinkedIn, we all have Indeed, so it's probably easier to recruit from abroad than you think, but there still is 
costs involved in that. So you make sure you speak to a specialised recruitment specialist. They'll absolutely help you with recruitment from elsewhere. But you also need to be aware of visa requirements and what costs are involved with that. So I would love to live in a world where I could go work anywhere. You know, it'd be great. Uh, I'd be on a beach in Barbados, but (laughs) Barbados might not let me in, which is a big consideration, you know. They probably wouldn't once they see my face, but uh, (laughs) you're only hearing me on this podcast, so we can live with that one. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely a challenge of... If I find a candidate that meets my specific skill set requirements and I can pay them right and I can relocate them, will that local government even let that candidate come into the country? And it's a huge challenge, especially in the UK, um, but I'm sure it's a challenge in Ireland as well, Brona. It is for sure, and, and and it's something that can't be, um, you know, it has to be given again a proper consideration. And you know, despite Ireland, you know, we, we have a highly educated, with professional workforce. We do need to go overseas to to seek that pool of talent. Um, you know, okay, we are a, a resident, you know, of of the EU. We are part of the European of course, Union, yeah. so there are no restrictions, so to speak, in terms of employment or or, or indeed self employment. Um, but you may need a work visa. Um, it can take up to three months in advance yeah. of, of your relocation to get that visa. So again, it's something that you need to bring into your you know implementation plan as well that you know you, you got to get that in place. If, if you, again, seek advice, if you have to get that in place, don't take it as a given and um, ask the questions um, and you know just make sure that, that you are compliant, that you know your employee yeah, is not in a, a jurisdiction and they realize somebody knocks at the door perhaps and they realize that you're, you know, you're not allowed to be here you need to leave so um you know it's very important that um just despite the, the 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 free trade despite the free path into the eu is certainly something that um that that always needs to be at, at the forefront yeah of course ireland still benefits from being in the european mm-hmm. union which is a great mm-hmm. benefit sadly we can't say that in the united kingdom anymore which <laughs> of course impacts on talent availability that now that we're not in that free movement area Ireland still benefits from that, which is great, but you need to be really aware that you'll have employees coming from different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, there'll be a settling in in period, what's it like working somewhere else, making new friends, are you relocating family, which is another um, thing to be concerned about, I would say, Mm -hmm. because they need to make sure they're settling in, do they go to school, Mm -hmm. are they looking for jobs if you're bringing dependents, if you're bringing them outside the European Union, it's a whole different kettle of fish because then you have all those visa requirements. Um, does the government allow them to come into the country? Can we get them tax registered? Do they speak the local language? So a UK requirement is you need to be able to speak fluent English to get that path of coming into the UK unless it's a very, very specialised role. But most people will need to be able to speak English to a certain ability and have that graded by a, a certified professional. That's one of the requirements for coming into the UK. I'm not sure about Ireland if that's a requirement for you, bro. Now you No, I don't believe so, Dan. Ah, no. Okay. no. Yeah, so, yes, a, a huge list of things you need to be aware of. Uh, is your job type in demand? Will your job type be on the approved list of jobs that are allowed to come into the UK? Um, do you have the right qualifications? How long will you be in the UK? What's the cost associated with that? It's a, a lot of work to bring someone into the United Kingdom market, but the same applies to any market. You need to make sure you're really having the right candidate, that they'll meet the immigration criteria, so they're paid the right salary. There's minimum salary bandings in the UK, for instance. Um, they have the right of qualifications. They can speak the language. 
You also need to make sure that you're a registered sponsor in the UK. So that means you need to be able to sponsor applicants, which again, costs. And your visa costs can sometimes be up to £10,000 for some of these employees because there's government surcharges for each year they're being in the UK. There's uh, processing charges. You most likely rely on an immigration lawyer who will help you navigate that immigration market. A huge amount of costs involved that you need to be very aware of. And it could still go wrong. It could You could go through all that cost and the UK government or any government for that matter could say, no, we're, we're not allowing this application. And this whole time, probably takes about 12 to 16 weeks to conclude an immigration application to any country in the EU. So yes, it's a long window to go through. So always mm-hmm. be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're fully aware of the type of commitment you're getting into because once they are successful say you bring an applicant to the uk for three years you need to make sure that you're monitoring that applicant's applicant's address and updating the uk government is that if that changes if their status changes if they get married you need to update the government Um, if they leave you need to update the government If, if they gain criminal record all these sorts of things that you wouldn't need to be worried about if it was a local applicant so always be concerned of that but yeah definitely it is an approach that more and more businesses are going towards because they need that talent to be able Mm. to operate in their market but there's a lot of risks associated with it so definitely um definitely something that can work definitely something that needs to be considered properly yeah and i think it's fair it's it's fair to say dan and i'm sure you'll agree that you know it's about figuring out what what's your employee value proposition what's your employer brand what does that look like because from that initial conversation or that initial submission of a cv right through to you know performance management and you know promotional opportunities all the initiatives all the supports that need to go into making sure this employee is fully supported in their role and i know i spoke about it previously i'm a huge advocate of this you might might have noticed um i've been in the game for a long time um, and i suppose experience has as as has shown me that you know that this is the way this whole holistic approach to getting that right employee, getting them set up for success and making sure that they, and as you say, their families, if their families are with them as well, and they have that support network around them and they have confidence and trust in their employers that, you know, somebody is looking out for this, somebody is looking after me here and and after my needs and, and making sure that this is the best experience for me and my career. Yeah. And just to add to that a little bit, I mean, we have a cost of living crisis at the moment, Mm. but a very um, common thing to apply to someone coming from either another entity, say somewhere else, say you have an entity in the EU and you're bringing them to Ireland or the UK, or you're bringing someone from just a completely different um, country into your country as a cost of living adjustment. You know, it's called COLA in the industry. You you may have heard that, but cost of living adjustments are, are very real things where you have to take an assessment of What's it like to live in a country? What are the average costs involved? And should you be paying a supplement to that employee that you're bringing in to be able to live comfortably in that country? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge change for a lot of people. That holistic approach is absolutely the right way of doing it, of being make sure your employee can trust you, that you can trust them, that they know that you can support them. It coming down to insurances and things like that, that you have the right framework in place to support that member of staff in the country yeah, it's really important so there's a lot of considerations to, to take there so just moving on from that uh, again always recommend that you seek professional consultancy advice if you are planning of any of these scenarios 
but this is just to give you an insight into things you need to be aware of going into it. So our, our fourth scenario is contractors. So another easy way that people believe is easy is I'm not going to set up in that country, I'm just going to employ a contractor. Surely that's the easiest way of doing it. They're self-employed, they send me an invoice and then they just do the work for me. Maybe that's the easiest way of doing it. Uh, I'm sad to say it's not the easiest way of doing it. (laughs) There's a lot of rules you need to be aware of. I'm not going to go into all the tax implications, but really the, the, the simplest thing you need to be aware of is in many countries, in the United States, in the UK, in most of the European Union, there's laws and scenarios around defining a relationship as an employment relationship. So you may have a contractor, say they only do work for you, in a lot of countries that would be seen as you're their sole employer, you've just defined yourself as an employer in that country, suddenly you have to start paying taxes, you have to backdate insurances, you have to backdate social security, so a whole load of things you need to get into and the employee, who is now an employee no longer a contractor, could take you to labour court to make sure that all these things are paid. So it's a huge amount of considerations that you need to be aware of. Contractors do work and work well in a lot of scenarios, but you just need to be careful you're not establishing that employer-employee relationship and attracting a whole load of taxis. I don't know if you've had familiar experiences in Ireland, Brona, or or around the world? We have, we have. And what we find is that a lot of of clients, or potential clients, shall I say, will come to us and they actually want to... um, bring contractors on and for us mm-hmm. to, you know, to process those invoices that the contractors are going to submit. So we just explain, look, we, we are an employee um, payroll service only. Um, but I always use it as an opportunity to maybe, you know, reinforce the difference between an employee and a contractor to them course, because, yeah. you know, they may be ignorant to that and, and, and just need a bit of training, a bit of education around it and the difference between an employee of services and employee for services, you know, a contractual supplier agreement versus an employment contract. Of course, um, yeah. Because, you know, like yourself, we've heard many horror stories whereby, you know, employers have been brought to Workplaces Relation Commission or like that, the Labour Court or something because of course, yeah. the contractor thinks that they are actually an employee and have the same rights and, and, and terms and conditions as current employees. And, you know, as you said at the outset, it might appear like a straightforward solution and it might seem a more maybe cost-effective solution and maybe less paperwork and less bureaucracy around it. Um, but in our experience here, um, you know, we, we've seen, you know, significant ramifications if it's not, you know, if, those, if, if that arrangement is not classified correctly yeah i mean say you have a contractor for three or four years in say france or somewhere else in the european union or any country they could take you to labor court and suddenly you could be facing bills of hundreds of thousands of euros or pounds Mm -hmm. because you've not paid those right taxes you've not you need to backdate those taxes now or backdate pension contributions and suddenly your budget for the year is out the window you know so it's definitely something you really really need to pay close attention to um, there is a lot of ramifications, like you said, Rona, if you get it wrong. So I'd always recommend that you weigh up the pros and cons of contractors, bearing in mind it's very easy for them to be established as employees and used as an employer and not a mm-hmm. contractor relationship. So always seek legal advice on that again. <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching that a lot, but it's definitely really, really important that you seek that advice. So I think I'm not sure I want to add anything else on contractors. It's a very... Um, bespoke scenario so there, there isn't a huge amount we can add there 
very easy, very good to use in certain circumstances. But again, you really need to be prepared for what you're getting into, especially if you're looking at countries you're not familiar with the laws in. Anything else? Yeah. No, no, fully agree with you, Dan. Get it right first time, and um, and, and make it clear what that relationship is, um, you know, uh, uh, currently and what it will look like going forward as well in terms of employment contracts and probationary periods and all of that stuff that goes with it. Of course, yeah. Thanks for that. So, just moving into our last scenario of today. So, hopefully, you've gained some insight. But um, our scenario five is what to do if an employee gets stuck in another country and they just happen to have taken their work laptop with them while they're on holiday. You know, so a little bit of a strange scenario. I'm, I'm sure it has happened, but I'm not sure how often it happens. What do you need to be aware of? How long could you get away with them working in country uh, and other considerations? So um, I've personally not had to experience this, thankfully. Um, I don't know if you've had any experiences with this, Brona. No, no, I have. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried, yeah, I've got to say. I never got away with it, but I've tried, yeah. <laughs> no, I have to say, um, no, I haven't. But it, it, you know, all, all joking aside, um, you know, it, it might not appear as, as attractive, um, you know, it might not, you know, seem as attractive as it might appear should i say um, yeah, and 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 you know it can have some some implications in terms of local laws and privacy issues and you know all of that 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 goes with it so i just be careful that you build some sort of contingency into your travel arrangements as well Absolutely, and yeah. you know should that happen yeah especially if someone's on say a work assignment and somehow i don't know what would happen to get them stuck in the country but say all air travels suspended for a month or something like that if they're on a work assignment you should really look at um, extending that relationship whilst you have them there I'm sure that there's some sort of national emergency on that scale there'll be emergency measures put in place but yeah seek advice make sure you have the right travel insurance in place always give yourself some contingency there it'd be very rare for an employee to be completely stuck in the country and just happen to have their work laptop or other (laughs) mechanisms with them but if that does happen Seek the right advice. Seek consultancy advice if you can. I can't imagine that happening with any ease anywhere, but if it does, yeah, seek the right advice for that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. And and that really brings us to the end. There's been a lot of talking, so hopefully <laughs> you got some insight there, and hopefully it wasn't um, too laborious for anyone listening in. Uh, thank you for listening. If you found this valuable, um, you can subscribe to our channel. You can also find Iris on all social media channels like LinkedIn, um, Twitter, things like that you'll find us on there. And thanks very much, Brona. Thanks for coming along. My pleasure. Great to be here. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>